0: Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Matthew chapter 4, and in verse 18, the Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. I want to preach to you this morning a sermon titled, There Are Levels of Fellowship." Pray with me. God, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom. Thank you for life, healing, deliverance. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to gather together in your name on the first day of the week to celebrate your resurrection. God, as Easter draws closer, help us to realize that every day in you is a celebration every day in you is only because the life that you've given us lord i pray today that as we look to your word that you'd anoint me to say the things you want me to say give us ears to hear what you have to teach us lord help us to understand your word in such a way that it would motivate us and encourage us to do and be all that you've called us to do and be in jesus name amen followership Not a real word, it's a Bible word. If you type it in your word program, it's going to underline it. It's a Bible word, but it's a word that needs to be talked about. Many times in the Bible, Jesus would say to people, follow me. I told y'all Wednesday night about this Not a Fan series where it's contrasting people who are a fan, and the author defines fan as an Uh, enthusiastic admirer, a lot of people are fans of church, a lot of people are fans of God or fans of religion, but it contrasts between being a fan and being a follower. In modern church, we talk a lot about believing in Jesus and getting saved. Jesus took it so much further than that when he was walking on the earth In his earthly ministry, he didn't just say, believe in me so you can go to heaven. He said, follow me. He said, take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. He said, reject everything else and follow me and only me when he was walking this earth. And I want you to know, because he never changes, I believe if he was here today, follow him would still be his call for us. But here's what I know. If Jesus was here today and he said, follow me, some would and some wouldn't. If he was here and said, follow me, some would say they're going to after they did certain things. And it was the same way back then. And we saw Wednesday night. One man said, I'll follow you, but my father is dead and I have to bury him. And Jesus came swinging hard out of left field. He said, let the dead bury the dead. You choose to follow me or not. And I'm thinking, wow. Couldn't no church survive that type of theory. Uh, Elder Robin, I can't be at worship practice because my mama died and the funeral is Thursday night. And Elder Robin said, you be at worship practice. You let some... Dad, we probably lost a choir member at that point. But Jesus' call to commitment was serious. He told people, if you're not willing to reject everyone else to follow me, you're not worthy of me. See, here's the thing about Christianity, and this is why it's so miserable for some people. If you're just dipping your toe in it, And backing up, if you're just part-timing it, it's just going to be miserable. It's going to be like rules and regulations and burden and joy-stealing. It's never going to give you the internal peace that true Christianity gives you. That's why Jesus was so determined to make people think and understand you got to get all the way in. Because until you get all the way in following him, it's just a burden. And I've told you before, most most church people are whacked. Do we understand that? I mean, the, one of the reasons so many people come to church is because they can't get accepted nowhere else. They went to the bar and nobody talked to them. Hung out all night long, couldn't make eye contact with anybody. They hung out at the park. They tried to join the PTA. Everybody shunned them. Everybody pushed them off. But you come to church, folks shake your hand and invite you to sit next to them. Sometimes. Some people in church are negative, they're mean, they're critical. These are not Christians, though. Don't get it twisted. These are church people. Church people can be very disappointing. Church can be very disappointing. Church can clutter your schedule and tie up your calendar. But real Christianity, I'm talking about all-in Christianity, head over heels in love with Jesus, following Jesus at the highest level you can, that's exciting. That's something worth living for. And I want to talk to you this morning about... Followership because there's been so many books written on leadership and not a lot of books written on followership there's a man who is making billions of dollars every year through kingdom people a man named john maxwell good dude writes good books on leadership but he says some stuff that i have to kind of scratch my head at he said everything in life rises and falls on leadership and that sounds good you know you it starts at the top blame the coach well, not, you know, if, if, if the coach does good, uh, you know, if the team does good, the quarterback gets the praise. If the team does bad, the coach gets the drama. But he says everything rises and falls on leadership. Having been in business my whole life, I can tell you a lot of stuff falls on followership. Elder Robin could give the best leadership in the world to our choir, but if nobody's doing what he says do, the thing, thing will be a mess, and they'll be like, well, it's just bad leadership. Maybe. Or maybe it's bad followership. I can provide the best leadership as the senior pastor of this church. And and, and stuff go all crazy. And people say, well, he's just not that good of a leader. Well, maybe there's some requirement as a follower. Let me give it to you in a way you can understand it. Because you may not be a senior pastor. You may not be a worship leader. Maybe you've had children. If you haven't had children, you've been a child at some point in your life. Your parents could tell you the exact right things to do. You could tell your kids exactly what they should do, and they not do it. Does that mean that you did a bad job leading, guiding, instructing? No, there is a responsibility on followership. Say follow. There's a responsibility for followers to follow, and Jesus is looking for followers. He's not looking for church members. He's not looking for butts in the seats. He's looking for people to follow him and work in his kingdom. So Wednesday night, we started the series called Not a Fan, and it was just by way of introduction. This Wednesday, we're going to start session one. I want you to come. I want you to learn how to transition to a higher level of following Jesus. As a young preacher, I was convinced that anybody who wasn't following Jesus like me was going to go to hell. I was a hardcore fundamentalist Baptist, and I really believed what I was taught, and this is what I was taught. We're going to heaven. Everybody else is going to hell. People that come here, we're right. They're wrong. We got a hold on truth. Anybody that disagrees with us is lying and going to hell. But what I've seen over the last 35 years of growing in Christ is nobody has the market on truth except Jesus. There's good and bad, and if you don't learn to chew the meat and spit out the bone, you're going to be a train wreck theologically. There's good and bad on every side, and I had to learn that just because you're not following God the same way I am doesn't make you wrong, and just because I'm not following God the same way you are doesn't make me wrong. God brings us along at our own pace. We all have a journey. If you ever had children, if you had multiple children, you should have understood. If you didn't, you messed them up. You should have understood different children take different finesse. Different children take different tracks. Different children take different leadership style. Different children take different parenting. And the parent that loves is willing to go through that journey. And because God loves us, he has a journey for us and I've realized that there are phases of fellowship. I got saved and I fell straight into Christianity headlong. I hadn't been saved for more than a couple of months and I was already preaching and traveling and leading ministry. That's not everybody's task and I used to wonder, how can these people say that they got saved, uh, get saved on a Sunday morning and not come back on a Sunday night. Get saved on a Sunday morning and not dive right into a ministry on Tuesday. Then I had to realize that my journey is my journey, and the only person I'll ever have to answer for is me. That's okay for me, but listen to it for you. Your journey is your journey, and the only person you're going to ever have to answer for is you. Now, that's awesome that you don't have to answer for anybody else, but don't miss the big reality. You will have to answer for you. The Bible says we must all appear the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian is going to still appear before God's judgment, and he is going to look at the way we lived our lives and what we did with the gifts and talents that he gave us. And I, for one, I want to follow God at a high level. So this morning, I want us to look in the Word and see three different levels of following Jesus and try to give an honest evaluation of who we are and where we are. This is the hard part. Lots of preaching in America today is just designed to make you feel good, but not make you think, because they're following the format that media has perfected. Media, amusement parks, people of Disney World, people of Universal, people of roller coasters, people of rides, people of TV, people of movies. Why? Because it's all amusement. And if you think about the word amuse, it comes from two different words. Ah, which means not, and muse, which means think. Are you following me? You've been too amused too long, you can't follow that. Not to think. That's why they they used to call it, my grandfather used to call the TV the idiot box. You remember that? There's no, you know what you do? You come, and I ain't mad at it totally. I mean, I've been there. Come home from a long day work, hit the lazy boy, kick the feet out, turn it on. Doesn't even really matter what's on because you're not half listening anyway. You're just what? Vegging out. Being amused putting yourself in a position where you don't have to think. That's why people like movies better than books. Because in a book, you have to try to follow along in your mind. In a movie, you can come in and out. When the explosion happens, you wake up. But we live in a culture that wants to be amused. We go to churches in America where their whole point is to amuse the congregation. Never make them think. I heard, I heard a pastor of a mega church giving a conference on how to grow churches, and he said, don't ever put the congregation in a position to where they have to think whether or not they're doing good or bad because they probably already feel bad and they'll leave feeling worse, and you want them to leave feeling better. Let me tell you about me. I want you to leave knowing the truth. I want you to leave knowing what God says. And we have to come to an introspective place in our life. Listen, the only way to get better at something is to know where you really are. If you want to lose weight, people who really want to lose weight, they're checking that weight. They know what their current weight is. They know what their goal weight is. They're monitoring it all the way through. People who want to get stronger in the gym, they know how much they can lift, and they want to lift more, and they measure their progress. As Christians, we need to take an honest evaluation of where we are, and we need to measure our progress because we all have further to go. Do you believe that? Some people come to Christ in a hurry. Others drift in and out. Some come in and leave and never come back. That's the shocking crowd to me. I've seen people come, walk forward on a Sunday morning, high invitation, snot, slob, and I just want to get saved right? my God and never see them again. And I'm like, man, I hope you just floated on up to heaven with all that emotion that didn't bring you back ever. (laughs) Some people come and go, but I want us to look at the life of a man who was the man I believe that was closest to Jesus than anyone who ever lived. Because if anybody ever got it right, this guy got it right. And the Bible says that we have these stories for our examples. We need to study the examples inside this book because if you want what others have, you got to do what they did to get it. And the Apostle John had what every believer should want to have. He had a close relationship with the Lord. He knew Jesus, and Jesus knew him. He was all tied up with the Lord, and the Lord was all tied up with him. And I want us to look at his life and try to learn something about these three phases of fellowship as we look at him. Before I get into the message, let me give you some background information, quick facts about the Apostle John, because there's so many dudes named John in the Bible. You got to keep your Johns straight. Uh, John was John the Baptist's disciple. Now, How funny is that? You got John and John, but one is John the Baptist. He's the voice crying in the wilderness. He's the dude dressed funny, eating funny food that everybody's mad at. He's the thundering prophet telling everybody to get their lives right Because Jesus is coming. Well, this man, John, who we're talking about this morning, was a disciple of John the Baptist. He was the younger brother of James. Uh, He was part of what theologians call the inner circle. Jesus had 12 disciples. I have never met anyone who can name all 12 of them. If you can name all 12 of them, I want you to see me after church today, and I want to shake your hand. Everybody's thinking, what their names are, what their names are. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James and brother John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew are the 12 disciples. But of those 12, theologians talk to us about four of them that made up Jesus' inner circle. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were the in crowd. They, those were the ones who stayed closest to Jesus. They were with him at times that the others weren't. They came to him earliest And stayed with him the longest. But John was part of that inner four. He was part of that us four and a few more crowd. But the Bible calls him the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus referred to him as one of the sons of thunder because he was hot-tempered. Him and his brother one time said, God, call down fire from heaven and kill everybody in this city because they're not treating us right. Ain't you glad to know Holy Ghost people can have a little attitude? (laughs) That's a different message for a different crowd. I'm going to keep going. But he was a fisherman. He was in a partnership with the N4. Andrew and Peter were brothers. James and John were brothers. And the Bible tells us that they owned a fishing business with multiple boats together. But this John was the only one of the 12 who was at the cross. He was the only one of the 12 to die of natural causes. All the rest of them died in horrifying deaths, just tragic deaths. I mean, boiled alive in oil, ran through with spears, had their bodies sawn in half, kind of flies negative to the uh, come to Jesus and everything's going to be all right late in the midnight hour. He's going to turn it. Flies in the face of, you know, double for your trouble when you start seeing that the closest followers to Jesus ever were had their body limbs ripped off by wild animals. But John escaped all that, and John died of natural causes. Remember, I talked last week about Peter, his denial and his confession. And when Jesus was telling Peter what was going to happen to him as an old man, that he ultimately was going to be crucified, he pointed at John because he knew John was Jesus' favorite, and he said, well, what about him? And Jesus said, don't worry about what about him. You walk your road and let him walk his road. And Jesus said, what difference does it make what my plan for him is? Well, Jesus' plan for John was different than the other 12 because he's the only one to live out a full life and die of natural causes. He also wrote five books of the Bible, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're in 1st John this month as our book of the month. I hope you'll read it, five chapters. You'll love it. He wrote Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of the Revelation. No S. Everybody's got a pet peeve about something. There is no book in the Bible called Revelation's. It's the book of the Revelation, but God gave that revelation to the apostle John. John's gospel is unique. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels. They follow a similar theme. They tell mostly the same stories. John's gospel is much more theologically driven. It's written in a higher language. It's the only gospel to record Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's the only gospel to have no parables. Run that by on Trivia Night. Which God, well, I mean, they got a good chance. It's not a coin toss, but it's two coin tosses. It's one in four. Which gospel doesn't have any parables? The gospel of John. It's the only gospel to record the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not in Matthew 6. I was born in the Catholic Church, and they taught us the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the model prayer. Jesus' disciples said, teach us to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say pray this. He said pray this like this but the lord's prayer the actual words that jesus prayed to god are recorded in john 17 and it's an incredible prayer you should take time to read it sometime but jesus loved john so much john loved jesus so much that when jesus was dying on the cross all the other followers left because they were scared of the romans the romans had been crucifying people for a long time crucifixion was not invented for jesus They'd been crucifying people for a long time. They had perfected it. And all of the men were scared that they would be caught and seized as a co-conspirator in Jesus' conspiracy to take over the world and to have everybody follow him. So they all left except a few women and this man, John. In John 19, Jesus speaks to him. And the scripture says in verse 25, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved he said to her dear woman here is your son and he said to his this disciple here is your mother and from then on this disciple took her into his home this was a formal ceremony in those days. In those days, if you had a witness and you made a formal declaration, I mean, you could just literally, I mean, I don't recommend that, that Deacon Jimmy do it uh, because hopefully she'd chase him down and beat him for it. But if Deacon Jimmy just said, you're not my wife, you're not my wife, you're not my, that'd be a legal divorce. If, if Jason wasn't, wasn't married to his wonderful wife and he just said, I'm marrying you, I'm marrying, you're my wife, you're, that's a legal declaration in front of people and that's how they did, so. didn't need no lawyers, wouldn't that be cool? Just get it all done today. No lawyers, none of that. No process. Jesus performs a legal ceremony, a binding ceremony of adoption with some of his last breaths. Why? Because no matter how tired he was and no matter how much weight he had on him, he was always taking care of people. And here Jesus knew he was leaving. And he wouldn't be there the same anymore. But he loved his mom. Listen, children, love your mother. You want to call yourself a Christian? Love your mom. Well, hey, you don't know her the way I do. Hey, you don't know mine either. Still got to love them. Hopefully she didn't get the tape. Love your, Jesus loved his mom. And he loved John and he knew he could trust John. And he said, John, I want you to take my mom and I want you to take care of her. He trusted this man to take care of his mother. And, and the Bible says, from then on, the disciple took her into his home. She moved in. Joseph, the carpenter, was dead. Mary had been following Jesus. Now there's no man in her life to take care of her in a man-centric culture. And so Jesus, in his dying breath, makes sure that John has a mom to love. He knows John's going to be sad. And he knows Mary loves Jesus. He knows Mary's going to be sad. He knows John loves Jesus. So he put them two together. The point is this. John followed Jesus at a high level, and he is a good example for us to examine fellowship, John's life took him through all three phases of fellowship. And as we study the word today, here's what I want you to remember. Life is a journey. Life's a what? Life is a journey. You gotta crawl before you can walk and you gotta walk before you can run. This is what messes up so many people in church. People come in church and they get saved for real. They get so excited. They just wanna take on every ministry when they're not equipped for it, when they're not prepared, when they haven't done the exercise for it, they, they, their desire outshines their strength, and then they fall short. Listen, take your time growing in Christ. Just make sure you're growing. You don't have to finish the race today because the race is not to be finished today. This is a lifelong love affair with Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says, again, the next day, John stood and two of his disciples. And look, this is John the Baptist, not the other John that we're talking about. It's hard to keep up. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Brilliant. Brilliant. They did the right thing. Listen, if Jesus comes back, and I'm still having church on Sunday morning, don't be here. If Jesus comes back and he's having church at the IHOP, don't show up here. Be there. Are you following me? If Jesus is on the planet having church somewhere, we will not be gathering here. We will be gathering where he is. And when John the apostle heard his mentor, John the Baptist, say that's the one, he's like, deuces. I found you took me here. You brought me to my spot. But now I got to move on to the real one who it is that I'm looking for. Verse 38 says, then Jesus turned. And saw them following, and said to them, What seek ye? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? I told you all about this Wednesday night, modern day speech. They, they, they're asking him, What's up? What, what's your life like? How you living? Where you stay at? You got to love that, right? That, that's just grammar, nightmare. Where you stay at? All right, let's don't, Get grammar ish and keep going. But they they asked him, Where you be staying at? How you be living? What it is? In verse 39, he told them, Come and see. What an incredible invitation from the Lord. Come and see. You know, most people, important people will tell you, you walk up to somebody and say, Man, I love to hang out with you. Just check out how you're living. Uh, well, call my people, and I'll have my people not return your call because I'm busy. And Jesus like, come get it. Come hang out. Come and see. And the Bible says, And they saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. They abode with him that day. If you've been around for any length of time, you know I love how specific the Bible is. Words are not wasted in the Scripture, and that's why we need to pay attention to to the wording. We can see inside this scripture how long these two men hung out with Jesus on their first encounter with him. All right, here's the deal. They've been going to the church of John the Baptist. They've been hearing about the Messiah that's going to come. Jesus walks in front of them. John the Baptist said that's him. They say, "We're out. We're following him." They go up to him, "How you living? What's going on? Come see" They saw where he dwelt, and they abode with him that day. That what? That day. How long to hang out with him? That day. Just that day. Just for a few hours. The the, the clock was already ticking, but when they met Jesus, they hung out with him for that day. I've told you before, most people have a very faulty impression of how Jesus gathered his twelve. Most people, even if they had a cursory reading of the Gospels, they think that when Jesus came forth to do ministry after his baptism, he said, you, 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 you and you, let's go. And they just all like, do 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 It just followed him blindly. But that's not what happened. They all had a come and see phase. They all had an introdu- introductory phase. And this is John's come and see phase. This is the initial introduction where you are checking stuff out there are people in this room right now you are in your come and see phase let me tell you something it is not designed to last long it is not designed to keep you stuck in well I'm just trying to see if this thing is real listen this thing is real Well, I'm just trying to see if I can fit into this thing. Don't worry about if you can fit into this thing. Just make sure you get into this thing because there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And you don't want to miss out on the good stuff. So this is John's come and see phase. And if you study the Gospels closely, comparing Gospel to Gospel, you will see that during the next few days, immediately after this first day, Jesus calls his first six disciples, Andrew, John, Peter, James, Philip, and Nathaniel. And these are the only six that are with him in the beginning of his miracle working. Now, every good alcoholic knows the first miracle Jesus ever did. You ought to know, even if you're not an alcoholic, I set it up so good. What did he do? He turned the water into wine. Don't you wish you had him at your next family reunion or at lunch today? Listen, all 12 were not with him. This was the initial six. They were at Cana when Jesus turned the water into wine and did his first miracle. They were the only disciples with him in his first trip to Capernaum where he cleansed the temple for the first time. Where he braided up that rope, turned tables over, and drove religious people out of the church. Because their heart wasn't doing the right thing. This was the early ministry that Jesus had in Judea. But he left Judea. And he went back to Galilee, and they went back to doing what they were doing. He hung out with them for a little bit, and then he left. This is the story of most people. My own story saved or born into the Catholic Church, parents got divorced, no church at all, ride the church bus to a Baptist church, walked out a couple times, no real salvation. Introduction, introduction, check out, checking it out, checking out. Finally, July. 15, 1981, I got saved for real. But it didn't happen the first time. It happened through phases. Now, when Jesus gets back to Galilee, the disciples go home for a few months. They're gone off the picture for months while Jesus does ministry for himself. And this is where most people miss it. Most people think Jesus called all 12 at one time and they stayed with him for three years. Jesus' earthly ministry was approximately three years long and he did most of it by himself. But these disciples were intermittently with him in the beginning and stayed with him mostly until the end. Jesus, after they left, he goes back to Nazareth and he gets rejected. Remember, he said that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And he didn't do a lot of miracles there. He was there by himself. They went back to fishing and doing their own jobs. And he was cool with that. He didn't condemn them. Listen, if you're checking out God, God, the people get so worried. God is not going to ask you in your checkout phase to quit your job and sell all out to him and move to Ecuador and minister to poor people. He just wants you to know he loves you, and he wants to begin a relationship with you. He didn't scold these people for going back to their jobs. He knew they were on their journey, and he did his ministry for months. But then when he came back to Galilee, he began, when he began his new ministry in the Galilean region where he did most of his work, he came back to the six. He came back to those first six. You can see it in the Gospels recalled them, re-said follow me again. They'd had their come and see months, but now he puts a greater call on their life. Say greater. I got news for you. If you want to be who God wants you to be, here's what you're going to experience throughout the course of your fellowship: A higher call followed by a higher call followed by a higher call. If you're going to be the man and woman God wants you to be, you're going to find out that God wants to take you from here to here and then to here and then to here. God is constantly going to want to call you higher and closer to himself. That might sound like work to you, but it sounds like glory to me. That song, wherever the Lord is, is where I want to be. That ought to be the heart cry of every Christian. So Jesus comes after their come and see phase, puts his greater call on their life. Listen to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren. Simon called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I've talked about this before. They caught fish back in those days by throwing a net out, pulling it in, and holding on to what they caught. Jesus is saying, You're catching fish. I want you to catch men. Well, how do we catch men and women and boys and girls in evangelism. We throw the truth out, we try to drag them in, and we try to hold on to what we catch. In verse 20, the Bible says they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, they've already had a come and see phase, but now they're coming into a different level of fellowship. Verse 21 says, And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left their ship and their father, and they followed him. Check this out. The come and see phase lasted for a brief time followed by months of nothing. Now, I'm sure there was thinking going on. I'm sure they talked to each other about it. You can't go to a great church service with some lost friends and not go smoke it over at a restaurant, talk about it, uh, remember the good stuff that happened. But after that come-and-see phase, they spent some time with Jesus. They went back to their jobs. They realized following him was a process. They did not leave everything, not the first call, not the second call. The same men who walked with him for a few days in the come-and-see phase now move into a higher level of fellowship. They're not just checking him out anymore. They're not just spending a few hours with him anymore. Listen to what they've done. They've given up some stuff. Say, give it up. You want to know when you're transitioning from just checking it out to higher level? When you start to give up some stuff. They walked away from their boat. They walked away from their net. They walked away from their family to follow Jesus. There has to be some level of sacrifice for you to be who God wants you to be. You can't hold on to everything you already have and have room for Jesus in your life. I had somebody ask me this week um, about my kids playing. It was my mom. I talked to my mom yesterday. It was her birthday, 73 years old, still kicking. And she said, so what sports are the boys going to get into next? I said, Mom, sports take up so much time. And she's just assuming that because I was in sports year-round growing up. Um, but I could walk to the park. She never had to take me to You know, Now you got to take these kids to the park. I said, Mom, we're so busy in church Church has taken the place of the park for us. We, we're so busy, there's, there's not time for that. But you, these people are spending time with Jesus. They're, they're following him. They're giving up stuff. I don't know what you're going to give up. I told her we're going to have to give up some sports this year because we got too much to do for the Lord. I'm not saying your children shouldn't play sports. I think it's awesome. I think it teaches them a lot of stuff. But I'm telling you, if you ever transition just from checking out the Lord to really wanting to follow him, you're going to have to give up something. You might have to give up some TV late at night so you can read your word. You might have to give up some extra sleep in the morning so you can pray before you go. Please, 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 if you don't hear anything else in life, please do this for you. When you go to sleep at night, before you close your eyes, please say something to God. Please thank Him for your day. Just ever so briefly, just please just acknowledge Him. Before you close your eyes to go to sleep. And please, when you wake up, acknowledge Him in the morning and thank Him for another day. If we could just begin to do that, if we could just start our day with prayer and end our day with prayer, we would acknowledge the Lord's presence in our life and it would take us to higher levels of fellowship. But they're starting to give stuff up. They're leaving their ship, they're leaving their Father, they're following Him, they're making a decision to sacrifice stuff. I call this the following phase. In in verse 20, the Bible says, Peter and Andrew straightway left their nets. In verse 22, the Bible says, James and John immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed him. They're giving something up to follow him. This is when Sunday morning attendance turns into Sunday night attendance. This is when giving a wrinkled up $1 bill turns into giving $2. This is when giving just a little offering to the Lord turns into the tithe. This is when reading your Bible every now and then starts to become a priority in your life. They are drawing closer. And I want to tell you something. If you've already come through your come and see phase, if you really believe Jesus is worth following, I want you to move into the give up stuff phase. Start giving up some things for the Lord because God promised he would bless you for everything that you give up. But I want you to see a third phase, and I call it the forsaking all phase. And this is the phase that God desires us all to be in, and this is the ultimate in Christian living. In Luke 5, 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret. That's Galilee. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Here's what's going on. Jesus got all these crowds following him. He wants to preach. He goes out beside the uh, Sea of Galilee. Part of it they call Lake Genesaret. He got these people. They've gone back to fishing again after leaving they're fishing after leaving their nets, after leaving their father, after leaving their ships. They've gone back to fishing again. He sees them. They're mending their nets. Jesus said, I need a platform for all these people. Simon, you're not with me all the time, but you've been with me for a minute. I'm going to need to borrow that boat. I need you to row it out there, and let me use it for a platform. So that's what happens. And Jesus goes out on the boat, sits down, and he teaches people from the ship. Verse 4, now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a draught. Same word we would use for catch. And Simon answered, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now realize, Simon is a part-time follower of Jesus, but a full-time fisherman. He checked him out for a day. He hung out with him. For a couple of months, traveled with him, then didn't see him for a couple of months, still doing his thing, hasn't really made a huge life-change decision yet. He does know one thing. He knows there's something special about Jesus, but he knows that he's the best fisherman on, on the Sea of Galilee because he's got partners and boats, and there were very few people that had the money to have partnerships and multiple boats during that time. And this carpenter tells this professional fisherman, push on out there and go catch some fish. He says, look. We fish at night here, and some of y'all fishermen know there's some spots that hit better at night than in the daytime, right, Brother David? And Simon already told him, we have caught, They nothing out there, not tonight. He said, but at your word, at whose word? The word of a carpenter? The word of a carpenter going to tell a fisherman how to fish? No, he knew Jesus was more than a carpenter. And we got to get to the place in our life where we know Jesus is more than a carpenter. Where we know that Jesus is more than a myth. Where we know that Jesus is more than somebody, historical figure that people just talk about. Where we understand that Jesus is uniquely divine, better and different than any other person. He is God. And that's what Peter recognized. And he said, it don't make sense to me, but I trust What you say, verse 6, when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and their net break. And they beckoned to their partners, that's James and John, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. Two boats, four fishermen, full crews, all night fishing, couldn't catch anything. Jesus shows up. They do what he tells them to do. And they fill both boats to the point where they're about to sink. There's a different message in there. But listen, if you're handling your own stuff your own way and not taking the Lord's advice, you're probably not going to get a good catch. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. you got to get it in your mind when you read Scripture and you see that word, Lord. It is not Passé like it is in church. We say, Lord, uh, you know, we, we, we even make, you know, uh, lighthearted, yes, Lord. We, just, we throw Lord around as if it's simple. They didn't do that in that culture. When they said, Lord, it was a recognition that, that that person they were addressing was the promised Redeemer Messiah, the supernatural one born of God come to save the world from their sins. And Peter recognized, oh, my goodness, I am in the presence of God. And I am not worthy for all this. Verse 9, for he was astonished, and all that were with him at the catch of fishes they had taken. And so was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when he had brought their ships to land, listen, they forsook all and followed him. First meeting, how you living? Come hang out with me for a day come and see phase she's checking him out no big deal no no big requirement second meeting the following phase hung out with him for a couple of months saw him do some miracles got involved in his church work still went back to the old way though third meeting the Bible says they forsook all and followed him this is the game changer for these first six disciples this is the game changer from where they went from. Part time to full time, not ministry. See, this is the thing. Too many people think, well, if I really sell out to the Lord, I'm going to have to quit my job and do ministry. Listen, God wants Christians at the school board. God wants Christians on a construction site. God wants Christians at the courthouse. God wants Christians at the DMV. God wants Christians cutting grass and washing windows, digging ditches. God wants Christians being doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. God wants Christians starting their own businesses. Ministry is not what happens behind a pulpit. Ministry is any time we do something to meet needs for people to show them God's love. Don't think that this meant they all had to become preachers. They just knew they had to stop what they were doing and they had to get full time with Jesus. So here we see it again. Jesus is preaching, he's teaching, he's healing the sick. But where are his disciples? They had gone. They they, they left the come and see phase. They they went through the following phase where they gave up some things. Say some. They gave up some things to follow him. But here comes Jesus after his four main men, after his inner circle. He finds them backfishing. Doesn't criticize them. Doesn't say, I told y'all to follow me. Why aren't you in church on Sunday morning? People say, Pastor I missed five Sundays. Pastor Scott didn't even call me. You missed five years of Sundays. I'm not going to call you. You want to know where I'm at? I'm here. That, that, that's, that's where we met. I mean, I'm not, Jesus didn't go track these people down. He didn't condemn them because they weren't with him. They had their journey. He had his. He goes back. He sees them still fishing. He doesn't condemn them for that, but he loves them. And he shows himself to them at a greater level, and they decide in the end of that verse to forsake all and follow him. This is a whole different level. This isn't just giving up some stuff. This isn't just being in and out. This isn't just being on the fence. This is giving it all up. They brought their ships to land. They forsook all and followed him. I don't know who it is. I need to get this committed to memory. It's a good story. It's a story about war and invasion, and some military leader was going to invade another country, and he, he was so determined to win that when he landed his boats, he burnt the boats up so there was no way to retreat. The only option was to fight and win. And this is, where, this is a picture of these young men burning up their boats, getting rid of everything that's behind them, and they can forsake all and follow him. I already told y'all they build these refrigerators with these little things called lettuce crispers. There ain't no crisp lettuce in them drawers. That's the hide the liquor from the preacher drawer. I didn't just start doing this. You, you know, y'all be like, uh, y'all, y'all got any water in the refrigerator? Yeah, Pastor, uh, I'll get Oh, no, 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 let me get that for you. And then they throw a towel across the bottom drawer because it's sit through listen, this is when you don't, you're not holding on to that extra pack of cigarettes just in case you go back. This is not when you're not hiding your weed under your mattress just in case you go back. This is when you don't keep the black book so you can remember all their names uh, just in case you wanted to go back. This is when you get rid of all that stuff and you say, I am do, done, and did. This, that's old. This is new. I'm not going back. I burn up the boats. I can't go back to nobody. Some of y'all ought to put on y'all's Facebook status. Stop harassing me. I'm not coming back to you. I'm on my path, and you're not part of it. Y'all not hearing me. They forsook all and followed him. This is where it gets real. This is where it gets exciting. Now they're in the forsaking all phase. And from this time forward, he starts doing something in response. God wants you to give him something to respond to. When you plant seed, God gives it water and rain to make it grow. When they planted this seed of forsaking everything, and Jesus knows. It's not about coming up, praying a prayer. I surrender all. I'm giving it all up to God. I'm going to forsake everything and follow him. He knows He knows if you really mean that or don't. He knew that they meant that. And here's what he did. He revealed himself to them at a deeper level. (sighs) What about that? What about that? What about what if God just began to show up in your prayer time? where you didn't have to wonder, is anybody listening? What if God really began to speak to you every time you opened the Bible? What if God really began to fill you with joy and peace and let you know I'm here for you and I love you? What if God began to squeeze you in your worship and hold you as you sang songs? What if God began to cup your face as you cried to him, singing out to him? As God opens himself up to you, that's the level we need. That's not church churches churches come and see that 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 that's not giving up a few things that's just following this is forsaking all this is deeper level this is real. Christianity. He starts opening up to these disciples in a deeper way. He starts teaching them and bringing them to greater levels of understanding and surrender. He starts training them and empowering them and releasing the miraculous into their hands. He starts doing ministry with them and not just in front of them too many people sitting in churches today that have never done ministry with God they've only watched ministry be done by God but when you give it all up and he knows that you mean it he's going to do something incredible for you because God always honors his word and he said if you'll draw closer to him he'll draw closer to you and every step you take toward him he takes a step toward you and he saw this In their life, and this is where the phase, this phase is where real growth comes in. Everybody needs to come and see phase. We all need a a follow him more closely phase where we start getting rid of some stuff. Listen, for me, I don't know about for you, for me, getting rid of stuff was easy um, because it was stuff. some of y'all know my testimony. My sister and I were hardcore alcoholics. We didn't just mess around. Uh, We we weren't carrying, you know, Seagram's gold wine coolers in our, our trunk. We had gallons of Everclear grain alcohol in our trunk everywhere we go. We were chugging gallons of moonshine just to Feel right because we couldn't feel right on being normal until we met God. When we gave up everything to follow, I dumped all that out. I could take you to the spot. You Westsiders, y'all know where Lambing is. I could take you to the spot on Lambing where I poured out two gallons of Everclear, where I threw away a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't have any business having. God knows when you're ready to follow him. Some people, it's easy to get rid of stuff. Listen, those external things, that was easy for me to get rid of. 35 years later, I'm still working on some attitudes. I'm still working on some insecurities. I'm still working on some difficulties. But listen, you got to get to the point where you start giving up something. Something you got to get to the point where you start getting better somehow. you got to get to the point where this thing starts to get real with you in some kind of way. I think there's some people in this room that want to be phase three people. They want to be forsaking all, following Jesus people. But I told you, followership's a process. They didn't leave everything at the first day they met Jesus. He taught them and he brought them to greater levels of surrender. If you try to fast track yourself, you're going to implode. If you try to do more for Christ than you're ready to do, you're going to fall down and, and, and you're going to be embarrassed. Listen, take God one day at a time. Love God one day at a time. Read your Bible, say your prayers, make good choices. Everybody wants to think, God's calling me to be the next Holy Ghost miracle. Where God's calling you to love Him, to have a relationship with Him, to get involved in this process. So I want to ask you this in closing. Where are you in your life? As far as following him. Are you just checking him out? That's all right. That's good. Keep checking him out. Because here's the thing. Everybody who ever gave a legitimate look at Jesus fell in love with him. Every smart person who ever started out to write a book to disprove Jesus proved him and fell in love with him. If you take an honest look at Jesus, your conclusion will be that he is the son of God. If you take an honest look at Jesus, your conclusion will be there's nobody that will ever love me the way Jesus loves me. If you're in that looking phase, that's awesome. Keep looking. If you're in the beginning of following him, you're giving up some stuff, you're starting to get deeper, keep going. If you're in the forsaking him, forsaking all and following him phase, don't back up. Don't back up. Set your face like Flint and decide. I will not be moved because you can't climb a ladder going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. All this one step forward, two steps back that the devil wants the average Christian to make, you start moving forward in Christ, and then you yield to the devil. Listen, don't give back ground God already blessed you with. Don't yield back stuff God already delivered you from. Don't re-embrace the world that God took out of your hand. This is what's going to mess you up in your fellowship. you got to follow him. you got to forsake all that stuff. And you've got to follow him, but really, where are you at in your following him? We need to understand, birth's a beginning, death is a destination, but life's a journey. Where are you in your journey? Where are you in your journey? We've all been born. We're all going to die. This journey is yours. I can't walk your journey, you can't walk mine. But you've got a journey to walk. Where are you? Are you checking him out? Are you following him a little? Or have you already decided there's nobody like Jesus? There's no other life for me. I'm not going to give up on this thing no matter how many times people mess it up. Because he loves me too much and I love him too much. If you're checking him out, if you're in your come and see phase, let me tell you somebody who's been following Christ for a long time, he'll never let you down. He would never disappoint you. He would never hurt you. There are people walking around talking about having church hurt. The church never hurt anybody. The church is perfect. The church is glorious. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is redeemed and covered in the blood of Jesus. People inside the church hurt each other all the time. But don't come to church for people. Don't put people on a pedestal. Put Jesus on a pedestal. He'll never lie to you. He'll never use you. He'll never harm you. He'll never take advantage of you. He'll always be good to you. If you're in the following phase, if you started giving up things in your life to follow Him, let me encourage you this morning, keep following Him. You already know He's the right way. Stay on your track. Don't give back ground that you've already won. And maybe you're on phase three. Maybe you're ready to be on phase three. Maybe you're really ready to say, Pastor Scott, I realize I don't have but so much time left. And I want to do the best I can with the time I have left. I want to follow him more than anything. I'm gonna give you this promise and we'll go. Jesus said in Mark 10, 29, Verily I say unto you, there's no man that's left house or brethren or sisters, father, mother, wife, children, or lands for my sake in the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time: houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, land with persecution and in the world to come, eternal life. They could have looked at it like, we burn up our boats, we burn up our nets, we left our fishing business, we abandoned all our family to follow this one man, Jesus. Jesus said, okay, well, here's your reward. Not only do you get the end, (laughs) eternal life, those last two words are the end, that's the big deal. That's in the world to come. But right now, The promise of God, whatever you give up for Him, He's going to bless you a hundredfold. You give up houses, you get more houses. You give up family, you get more family. You give up land, you get more land. But don't miss those two words after land with persecution. Stop believing these lying preachers on TV that come to Jesus and everything's going to be all right. Come to Jesus, eternity's going to be all right. In this life, you shall have tribulation, Jesus said. Don't let tribulation throw you off. Let tribulation encourage you. Don't let trials and tests mess you up. Build your testimony. That test is there for a testimony. That test is there so you can show the world that my God is greater than this test. My God can strengthen me and empower me and enable me. Give you something to brag on God about. Hundredfold blessing. God wants us to follow him. He wants us to give up stuff for him. He wants us to embrace Him at the highest level. we got a hundredfold promise from God in this life. And we got eternity in the world to come. Whatever phase you're living in right now, we all need God's help to do better. None of us have it all figured out. Stop looking up at people thinking they've got it all figured out. They told Paul he had it all figured out, and he said, I don't. He said he hadn't even come close. He said, but there's one thing that I do I forget the past. Paul was a very successful Christian in his day. God used him to write about half the New Testament. He shook the world for Christ. He was the anointed man of God on the planet in his day. And when they tried to make him out to be bigger than he was, he said, no, I'm just a follower of God, just like you. He said, but there is one thing that I do that we all should do. He said, I forget the things that are behind me. And I move forward into my destiny. I want you to hear this. Forget the things that are behind you and move forward into your destiny. Forget your past successes. Stop living on the fact that you used to do stuff for God. Forget your past failures. Stop living in condemnation of how you disappointed yourself or your family or your church. Forget the past and live in the now. Because our God is a right now God. And His promise is this. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everybody in this room is only one prayer away from being perfectly right with God. All you have to do is call on His name. If you're here and you're unsaved this morning, I want to do this for you. I want to offer you an opportunity to get saved this morning. Not through a traditional invitation, not through a walk this aisle, but I want you just to know that all you have to do is ask God to forgive you of your sins, because he said if you'd ask, he'd do it. All you have to do is ask God to save you, because he said if you'd call on his name, he would save you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. If you believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and you can, with your mouth, say that you are willing to let him be the Lord of your life, the boss of your life, to take charge of your life, That's where salvation comes. And I want everybody to do that today. I want you to make sure that Jesus Christ is your confession today, that His Lordship is your confession today. If you're here and you are saved, I want to invite you to switch. Say switch. Whatever level you're on, switch up. If you're just checking Him out, go ahead and make a confession. He deserves more. He deserves more than just Sunday morning come to church. He deserves more. If you're into giving up some stuff for him, maybe you gave up certain things, and you're struggling on whether or not you want to take them back, I want you to make a confession that says, he's better than everything I could give up. He's better. You ought to let the Lord know that you think he's better and that you love him more than what you gave up to hold on to him. And if you're ready, and you know you're ready. And you're not ready unless you've been through the first two. But if you know you're ready to forsake everything and follow Him. If you're ready to do what Jesus said to do in Matthew six thirty three, To put Him first. His promise is if you put Him first, everything else will fall into place. But we're out there chasing everything else, waiting on God to fall into place at the end. That's not the right order. If you're ready to put Him first... So that your relationships can fall into place. So that your money can fall into place. So that your health can fall into place. So that your, your sane mind can fall into place. So that you can have the peace and the love and the joy that the Bible talks about. If you're ready for that, then just let him know. I've given up everything for you, Lord. I won't follow you with everything I have. I want to put you first. I want to put this doesn't mean that you just abandon every person you know and you go live on a mountain somewhere. This doesn't mean you get weird and, and you stop talking to everybody and just hide in a in a hut somewhere and just you know chant to God all day long. But this means that you put God first in your life above everything else and you let him know that he and he alone is your ultimate priority. And when you do that. He's going to open himself up to you. He's going to empower you. He's going to give you gifts. And he's going to put his spirit inside you in such a way that you will not be able to deny it. He will live in you and live through you. And you will learn that Christianity is not boring. Church might be boring. But having a real relationship with Jesus Christ is the greatest thing. You could ever do. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving yourself on the cross for us so that we could have salvation. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that's not truly saved. Lord, I pray that you would pour your love out on them and show them your goodness. God, they don't need to shake my hand to be saved. They just need to call on you. So I pray right now by your spirit that you would draw them. Give them a supernatural awareness of their need for true Holy Ghost salvation. Save them now, God. And when you do, encourage them to tell somebody today before they leave that they gave their heart to you. Help us, God, to give ourselves away to you every day, more and more. Help us to give ourselves and our things away to you more and more so that there's nothing that we're holding on to except you. You're awesome. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for not quitting us. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for having a good plan to give us a future and a hope. Thank you for bringing people into our life to encourage us, to motivate us. Help us, God, to love you and to love each other. Help us to love this community. God, I pray that you'd empower us by your spirit to do things that would bring you honor. God, I choose to follow you. And I pray you'd lead me and all who choose to follow you, God. We pray you would lead us by your spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Lives Ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.